0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This show is supported by listeners like you through our personal finance society, which is a fancy name for our Patreon members. You can join up with other Oh My Dollar community members to support episode transcripts, live streams, and more by making a pledge of $1 or more per month. Patrons get cool perks like cat stickers, discounts, and a special badge in our forums. To learn more, you can visit omydollarcom support. Welcome to O oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Karabake. Today we're talking about time. Time is money. But many of us know exactly where our money goes but have no idea where our time goes. Once you know where the time goes, though, you can make changes that will help you spend more time on the things you value and less where you don't, just like budgeting. For example, do you know how much time in a week you spend in meetings that don't accomplish anything, doing dishes, chatting with coworkers about this weekend's soccer game, reading to your kids, watching YouTube videos about people who escaped polygamist cults on the Oh My Dollar forums? Please don't abandon us. Tracking your time has a ton of benefits, learning how you can change your time to fit your values, figuring out if you're actually saving money, paying for the unlimited gem membership rather than by class. Understanding how much time you actually do spend on the things that you value, like family and hobbies, allowing you to come up with compelling database cases for outsourcing, splitting household chores differently, or hiring help at work. And you could also find wasted time that could be used for fun pursuits or to batch chores. I like to listen to a language learning podcast on my commute or fold laundry and stretch while I watch TV. Understanding the times of day that you're actually productive versus spinning your wheels. I'm pretty much non-functional after 4 p.m. And finding time each week where you can easily add something that you value maybe. Also, you might get pretty charts out of it, which I'm a big fan of this month on the My dollar forums we're doing the march of time challenge which is a time tracking challenge that everyone is participating in and even if you're hearing this deep into the month uh you only have to track for a week so you still have a chance to join uh and you can check it out more out about it at slash time but we have literally the most expert guest on time tracking today Laura Vanderkam is the author of several time management and productivity books, including Juliet, Schools of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Her work has appeared in publications, including The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. And she's the host of the podcast Before Breakfast and the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the podcast Best of Both Worlds. She lives outside Philadelphia with her husband and five children, and she blogs at lauravandercam.com. Hi, Laura. I'm so excited to have you on. I've read your books on time tracking many times. So I really want to know, how did you get started down this journey of tracking time? Like, what was your journey into tracking your own time?
1: Yeah, so I'd had many other people track their time, and so I thought fair was fair. And I had tracked my time a few times here and there over the years um, as I was having other people track their time to figure out where the time really went. And then in April of 2015, I decided, well, let me just keep going. I'll, I normally had people track time for a week. So I started for a week. I went for another week. I went for another week. And here I are um, almost five years later, and I am still tracking my time. So, yep, I know how I've spent every half hour of my life. Since April of twenty fifteen,
0: that you know, when you say it like that, it sounds pretty intense.
1: (laughs) It sounds crazy. Does it feel? Does (laughs) it? People
0: are like, let's turn off the radio now. (laughs) Well, and I track, I track like a ton of data about myself. I publish an annual report every year, and I've been tracking data since like way before people had smartphones or Fitbits. So like, it wasn't normalized, but. Time was one of those things where it was really my last frontier of tracking. Like, I track how many, I can tell you how many tacos I ate, how many drinks of coffee I've had any given day of the past de- over a decade. But time seemed like, I think I was almost afraid to track it because then I might have to confront some things about myself. Did you have, like, fear that you would start tracking and that data would, would maybe show things you didn't really want to see?
1: Well, I knew that was possible. But but again, if I'm asking other people to do it, I I need to be brave myself. But I I totally sympathize that it is hard to track time. And it's um, more difficult than plenty of other things. Like you don't accidentally eat a taco, right? So if you're tracking how many tacos you eat, there is a conscious choice to eat that taco. But with time, time keeps passing, whether you think about how you're spending it or not. And so you will spend the next 24 hours doing something, uh, how much of that is intentional, how much of it is mindful, or how much just happens is an entirely different matter. And so that's one of the things that's trickiest about it. But that's also why time tracking is so important, uh, because it is so easy to spend time mindlessly. And by tracking time, we become so much more aware of it. I think what I was most Worried about was not necessarily that I would find out I worked less than I thought I did, which I did find that out, (laughs) um, or that I spent more time in the car than I thought I did, which I also found out, or that I had more leisure time than I probably thought, but I was not spending it particularly well. These are all things I found out, but my biggest worry was that I would become so hyper aware of time that it might make me, I don't know, anxious about it. Like I was, Mm -hmm. you know. Saying I would check in on my time every couple of hours at least for a long time, um, and and so I have been very aware of time, and I in a way that I think maybe some people might find disconcerting, but I've actually found it more liberating than anything else because tracking my time has allowed me to see that I do have space for fun stuff in my life. And it would be very easy to tell myself a story that I didn't, you know, I'm busy, I work, I have children, various responsibilities. But knowing where the time goes allowed me to see that I could make choices with my time. And so that's been worth that level of accountability.
0: Yeah, I think time is such so interesting, because, you know, I I work with a lot of people that are very anxious about tracking money and sometimes it's the same thing where they're very scared of that initial like oh but then what if i find out exactly how much i'm spending on takeout and then have to change my behavior or something like like they're scared of what they're gonna find but money is a finite resource and time is a finite resource but time is one of the few things that we're we are all given equally on a daily basis right like we all get 24 hours and so it's it's fascinating to think about a resource that is like one of the only equitable resources as far as allocating time. And obviously we all have different levels of privilege and access to maximize that time or make it efficient or make it leisure, leisure full. But yeah, I think it's like a really fascinating uh, resource, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and that is one of the coolest things about it, that we all have the exact same 24 hours in a day. Um, And, You either use it or lose it. I mean, once it's gone, it's gone, and all the money in the world cannot buy a second of it back. And so, because of that, I mean, there are many parallels between time and money, and and I enjoy thinking of those parallels. But that is fundamentally one of the differences that's there. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's as if all your money was burned. <laughs> and so uh, not not really. I mean, you can establish good habits that open up time. Yeah, but you don't get to but carry it over, right? Like, I love you, saving. You don't get to carry it
0: over. No, <laughs> I love saving if, if money because I can carry it over.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, and we can't make a choice of like, oh, well, you know, I, I was hyper-efficient on one day in 2005, and so now I get those extra hours, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, now. Uh, like, it, it doesn't work like that. Um, but, you know, because we all have the same... 24 hours, I think we can learn from each other in a way that we can't always with money because of the inherent differences in the amount people have.
0: Yeah. All right. So what does your physical process of tracking like, and has it changed over time?
1: It's been pretty much the same since I started tracking for good in 2015. So every Monday morning, I open up a spreadsheet on my laptop. I have gone through different laptops since this has started, but it's always opening up a spreadsheet. Uh, The spreadsheet goes from 5 a.m. Monday to 4.30 a.m. Sunday in half-hour increments. So it's got the days of the week across the top, Monday through Sunday, half-hour blocks from 5 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. down the left-hand side. So, you know, for people who are curious, that's 336 cells representing a 168-hour week. And I just start. Filling it in, Um, I write what I've been doing in sort of a level of detail that I have become comfortable with over time. And this is one of the challenging things for people who start is they don't know how much detail and what to sort of gloss over and what to do. And people are like, "Well, do I record every time I go to the bathroom?" I'm like, "Well, you don't really have to do that unless you want to know how many
0: times you." If you want that data,
1: (laughs) if you want that data, be my guest. But if you don't care, then then maybe just. What were you doing the majority of that half hour? And I also do some slashes, like if I was, you know, working and then went and started making myself lunch, it might be work, comma, make lunch. And then if I'm adding it up later, I might decide to do 15 minutes for each. So it's not an exact thing, but it's close enough. And by doing it as life is going, maybe checking in three or four times a day, I can't get too far off. And, and so it's okay to be off by an hour or two here or there. Like, that's not the problem. What what people find when they track their time is that they can be off by 10 hours or more on, on things. And and that's worth knowing.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that was most fascinating to me was that, so, you know, this this book that you've done now, I think two books where you've had people do time studies. And in, in these time studies, one of the more consistent things that uh, you've uncovered is that People that estimate how much hours they work and even people that work a lot of hours don't actually work nearly the number of hours that they predict they do because it all starts to like, you know, a lot of people will claim they work 70 or 80 hours a week, but it turns out that their actual work time during that time is is a lot lower.
1: Yeah, this is, I mean, human nature. We overestimate the things we don't want to do and we (laughs) underestimate the things we do want to do. So nobody thinks they have enough leisure time and everyone thinks they work too much. (laughs) Now, if you get paid by the hour, you have a pretty good sense of how many hours you work. I mean, that is is—that is a straightforward math problem, right? But where it gets a little bit more fuzzy is salaried work and particularly salaried work that is sometimes different. Um, So if it's not the exact same every single day, then we have a tendency to remember our longest days as typical mm. and maybe our longest weeks as typical too. And so I'll hear from people, they'll be like, well, I was tracking my time and then, you know, my tooth broke. So I had to go to the dentist on Tuesday morning and take a half day at work. Should I start over with tracking? I'm like, well, Unless that will, nothing will ever happen to you again <laughs> that right. causes you to to have to take time off work or to come in late someday or whatever. I mean, unless that will never ever happen to you again, then, then actually that week is probably more typical than not.
0: That's you. One thing that I noticed is that you say that every every person says, "Oh, this week was unusual." The first week they track their time, and I see the exact same thing when people. I usually I try to make any anybody who comes to one of my classes track their expenses like on paper for the first week that they do it. And for people that have never tracked their expenses like in that way before, everybody would be like, "Oh, this week was weird. I had to pay school fees, or oh, you know, something totally unexpected happened, and I had to go out to dinner." And here's the thing I've learned after years of budgeting, no month is ever the same, right? Like every week has something exceptional. I, I find it really interesting that time ends up being very similar.
1: Yeah, there are always these known unknowns. I think that was the phrase that uh, mm. Donald Rumsfeld Donald once used. Uh, so there are, of course, unknown unknowns that you have absolutely no idea could happen to you. But the known unknowns are things like well, you know, somebody will have something go wrong. Some unexpected expense will come up. And it's the same thing with time. Like, you know, people are like, oh, well, I couldn't get this done this week because the, the kids were sick or, you know, we had snow and so things were delayed. It's like, well, you know, if it's winter, those things happen. I mean, this is this is not unexpected. And, and really good time management, just like really good budgeting, accounts for that. You know, you build in space for the unexpected to happen. And you don't know exactly what the unexpected thing will be, but you can be almost positive that something unexpected will happen. So you have to leave a little room for it.
0: Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking of this interview today when I ended up getting completely derailed by a phone scammer for almost an hour. (laughs) because <laughs> we we got i i work at a radio station and i i handle the finances there and we had gotten a um a phone scammer pretending to be the utility company saying we had an unpaid bill and there were like a number of reasons why it was almost presumably believable that we had missed this because <laughs> we like bills
1: around there <laughs> yeah
0: we, well we operate a bunch of llcs and they have like different billing addresses and so i was like i was like oh it's totally feasible that a bill got mailed to a different one and i had to like log into our online accounts check these account numbers to make sure it was really a scammer and i lost like an hour of productive time and i'm an hourly employee so like i if i if i have an hour that i don't spend doing the stuff i need to do and instead trying to make sure i don't get scammed by someone who wants you know me to pay them five hundred dollars in the next half hour then (laughs) i end up in this situation of like oh yeah that's time i'm not gonna get back (laughs) exactly gone it's gone so is there something that you find is extremely consistent that people find when they first start tracking? Like they spend too much time on one task or that they do way more dishes or watch more TV than they expect?
1: Well, they actually do fewer dishes than most people think. <laughs> um,
0: you know, I, I, there, there are all sorts of
1: things people find. Um, we, we lose a ton of time in transition mm-hmm. and we lose a ton of time not thinking about how we want to spend our time. So one example of this is that, you know, Saturday morning, it's nice to have a nice leisurely morning. And, you know, I have young kids, so we never have leisurely mornings, but I'm sure some people have leisurely mornings out there. Um, but if you don't think about what you'd like to do with your Saturday, much of the Saturday can be gone before you actually get around to doing it. You sort of spend this time kind of puttering around the house, looking at social media, watching TV, and none of it is kind of this high-quality leisure that we claim we have no time for. But if you thought about, you know, what do you want to get up on Saturday and go do? Well, you can find space for a lot more stuff, like if you've made plans ahead of time to go meet friends and go for a hike or, you know, some crazy thing like a boat ride or just things that you'd have to plan ahead to do.
0: The kind of stuff you post about on Instagram rather than the stuff that you hide on Instagram.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the things that make you the kind of person that other people want to be when they're looking at Instagram. (laughs) But those are the things you have to think to do. And if you haven't thought to do it, like it's going to be three o'clock on Saturday and you're not going to go for the hike at that point because it's going to be dark before you, you know, get there and get back. So by not thinking about our time, we waste all kinds of time. Now, I'm not saying there aren't obvious time wasters. People waste tons of time surfing the web, you know checking their inbox every 20 minutes or every 10 minutes, uh, but I think the mindlessness is is the biggest culprit.
0: Yeah. Our forums tell you how much time you've collectively spent on the forums for Oh My Dollar, and a bunch <laughs> of people were like, I don't appreciate that it gave me an automated badge to remind me that I've checked in every single day for 100 days. <laughs>
1: Yes, so, we say so congratulations. You spent twenty hours this week on this forum. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, the kind of news people don't want to get.
0: Hey, that's my business. It's connecting with other people. It's great, right? Uh, so, are there is there common like fallacies that you find that people tell themselves about their time? Is it just that they do more of the things they don't like and less of the things they like, and that's kind of one of the common stories? Or
1: yeah, I think you know, there's a common story people tell that I have no free time whatsoever. Right? That's that's a phrase people will say to themselves. And there are certainly you know moments in life that are rushed and harried. And if you are looking for those rushed and harried moments, you will find evidence that your life is rushed and harried. But if you are looking for evidence that um, your life is not so rushed and harried, then you can find evidence to support that, too. Uh, when people track their time, they tend to discover that there is some free time. Uh, It may not be as much as they want, but it's some. And not as much as I want is a very different story than never. So so that is one of the key takeaways that people get from tracking time is that the never story is is overstating things. Not as much as I want is totally true, but not as much as I want is a much more productive story because then you say, oh, well, could I scale it up over time? Could I find ways to do more of these things that I am doing? Uh, and that you may be able to
0: do. Yeah. I think one of the things you, you had a name for it, but it was like the everyday fallacy or something like that, where you were saying that like people believe that they don't ever do anything if they don't do it every day. But it turns out that like, I think the example, one of the examples you gave was like tucking your kids in at bed at night and reading them a story. Like, sure, maybe you don't get to do it every night, but you get to do it four days a week. And that's pretty good on the balance. Oh,
1: definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I tell people don't fall into the 24 hour trap. That might be the phrase you're looking for. Oh, yes. <laughs> for. Um, I, su- I, I suggest people have more of a 168 hour mindset. 168 hours is the number of hours in a week, that's 24 times seven. Um, so if you have that mindset instead of the 24 hour trap, you start looking at time more holistically. And, and so on any given night, you'd be like, Oh, well, I didn't read bedtime stories. This is horrible, terrible. Or, you know, I got stuck working late tonight. That's horrible, terrible. Or I didn't exercise today. This is horrible and terrible, which, you know, if it's every day, okay. But if, some days you don't exercise, but other days you do. Well, great. Like, so let's celebrate the fact that you're doing something three to four times a week instead of holding it out for every single day, which there are very few things that people do every single day. I mean, people will tell you, oh, I exercise every single day, and they mean five days a week. Um, people will tell you, you know, I I go to the office every day. Well, they mean five days a week. Yeah. These Somehow when things happen more than four times, we start it, especially if there's things we don't necessarily want to do. We start giving ourselves credit for every single day, but yep. it's not true.
0: Uh, yeah, that's really fascinating. So you, I think one of my favorite parts about your book, I, I know how she does it, was that you conducted this large survey of financially successful mothers who worked full time, they had hobbies, uh, they had young kids, and they also tracked, had them, you had them track their time. Was there commonalities you found in the way they managed their time or was it extremely unique?
1: Well, everyone was a little bit different, but I saw a few commonalities. Um, you know, so these were people who were very high income, um, so big careers. They did work more than forty hours a week. Um, you know, so people are always interested in finding that out, but it wasn't that much more than forty, and that I thought was very interesting because we often think that oh, well, if you have a you know big job, it's going to require working around the clock. You know, 80, 90 hour work weeks, and that was just. Not the case. Uh, The average in my study was uh, 44 hours. Um, Nobody topped 70 hours in the week they tracked. And the people who topped 60, almost all of them had some reason that it, you know, they could tell you it was not a typical week. Mm. I would say there's never a typical week, but it would say a week where they were running a conference for four days. Well, yeah, I mean, right there, (laughs) at the conference from 7 to 11 every day, that's going to drive up your work hours pretty quickly. Um, Or, or, you know, it's an accountant right before the tax filings. Yes. Those are long weeks, yeah. <laughs> but they knew that it wasn't going to be like that in, say, June. Um, so it's so very different from, from the norm. So, so, yeah, people worked a lot, but they didn't work around the clock. And the other thing that was interesting is uh, these were, again, women with kids. So many people who have children would, in fact, like to see their children on occasion. <laughs> um, and we have this story that if you have a big job, you won't see your family. Right. Like that's the trade off. Like nobody can have it all. Right. If you have a big job, you won't see your family. And that turned out to not be true at all. I mean, people were spending tons of time with their families because, again, they were working on average 44 hours a week and there's 168 hours in a week, so there's time left over. Um, but they were smart about scheduling their work in order to maximize family time. And, mm. and one of the most common strategies I saw is working what I call a split shift. Um, so, again, this only works for people who are sort of salaried and have some control over their time. So I'm not suggesting that if somebody's getting paid by the hour and has set shifts that this will work. But a lot of these women would leave work at a reasonable time, say, you know, five or something, like that. go home, spend the evening with their families, then do some more work at night after the kids went to bed. And by doing this, instead of working straight through, they were trading off work time for what might have been TV time mm. instead of work time for family time. And that was a trade-off that many people were willing to make. And that's how they were able to work longer hours and yet still have a full personal life as well.
0: Uh, that's, that's so fascinating to kind of see that. I think one thing that I noticed when reading, I know how she does it was because, because we were focusing on people with like quote unquote, big jobs and high incomes. A lot of these women seem like they were only able to really have these full lives because they had the financial means to have help around the house, like nannies, childcare, house cleaners. And like, I've often found in minimum wage service industry jobs, time is often tighter for money than money, even when money is tight um especially like even if you're only working part-time when you're trying to save money time is often the substitute right so everything ends up taking longer when you're in poverty like long drawn-out processes for government assistance the wait to get seen at the one clinic that accepts medicaid the longer commute on public transit versus your own car or like one of the big ones is like if you work service industry these irregular shift schedules where you only get them on saturday when the week starts on sunday it means that like every week you have to like shuffle to get you know childcare covered or whatever do you do you think that someone that's in that situation would actually get value out of time tracking or do you feel like it's one of those things that's like it's once you've once you're at a certain income level then you're kind of in the stage where this is going to be valuable
1: i think it's still valuable to track time um, and the same as it might be valuable to track spending, even if you understand that there are certain things that are not necessarily ideal, um, that may be out of your control. I mean, as you mentioned, it, it is expensive to be poor, and it's expensive in terms of time to be poor as well. This is one of the great unfortunate things in life. Um, but I think that anyone can get value out of tracking time because it can help you see patterns, for instance. Um, that you might see like actually, you know, this is time that I do have, for instance, to play with my kids. I mean, yes, I can't guarantee what time I'll get off work on any given day, but I know I never start until this hour, mm-hmm. right? And so th- maybe we can try to make use of morning time as, as family time, for instance, or, um, you know, I can see that sometimes I get a break at this point. Um, And how would I like to best use that break? Maybe that would be a good time to clear my head and get some energy by going for a walk or something like that. You know, it's not going to work to build in long shifts at the gym, but, you know, maybe you can go for a walk outside and and experience that. Uh, You know, you can see that, um, you know, when might be good to go to bed if uh, it's you're tending to have to wake up at a certain time. Uh, Maybe you want to try your best to have a bedtime Um, in order to maintain that and and have some control over that. So it it, it can help in any circumstance. And even if we don't control every aspect of our time, um, by seeing these patterns or seeing when things might work, um, you know, we can take some bit of control over it. And that can be very
0: motivating. Have you read the book, Your Money or Your Life? I have, in fact, read that book. Yeah, I think one of the fascinating things, which I think dovetails really well with time tracking and your work, is they have you com- calculate essentially what your life energy, like that, your what your real hourly wage is. And I think it's extremely eye opening because I think most people that don't make a lot of money are very that are paid hourly are very familiar with the like, okay, I have to work five hours to be able to buy that thing. But one of the big things that book does is it looks at all of the expenses and costs in terms of your time that your job has. So, for example, I have, you know, a half an hour commute each way and that hour lowers my real hourly wage overall. And it's very and like the wear and tear in your car. And if you work a job where you have to dress a certain way, that cost of, you know, maintaining suits for court or whatever, like those things are overall, those are lowering your hourly wage. And I think that's like a really valuable exercise. I don't know. Did you find that did you find that book helpful or is it very like you're like I know all this cuz I track my time? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I do. I know these things, but I one of the quibbles I have with a lot of the people in the sort of financial independence early retirement movement is in many cases work is portrayed as this bad thing that is keeping you from the life you want. And, you know, I don't think work has to be that I think it, you know, sometimes it is and that's too bad. And I hope people can build a wonderful life outside of work then, but for many people, there are some really cool aspects of their jobs. And I know in my case, like I love what I do. And so I don't view the hours I'm working as some, you know, subtraction from my life force or whatever the the words were in there. But, you know, it's, it's, it's just part of who I am, right? And and so um,
0: spoke like a true New Yorker, right? I think there. there's
1: some <laughs> Yeah, I think there's some well, there's some nuance to <laughs> to this. I, I, I think we, we have to it you know, we don't wanna give our whole lives to work, but it's also really cool to have work that supports the rest of your life that makes you feel like a whole person and like you're contributing meaningfully to the world.
0: Yeah, I that's one of the like, I I love what I do. um, And I'm I'm not in that camp of like, a lot of the financial independence retire early people are in jobs that they they claim to like really hate, but they pay them really well. And I've never been in that situation where I have golden handcuffs because I love the work I do, but I don't get paid extremely well. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so for me, like the whole fire thing is I, you're, you have to be moving towards something, right? You can't just be escaping work, right? Because you still have to live a life regardless of yeah. how much money you save. So
1: yeah, if you're gonna retire early, what are you gonna do with yeah. yourself? And, we, and we think see- about what that is. And hey, wouldn't it be great to find a job where you do what that is? Yeah. <laughs> so. well,
0: and a lot of the people that have retired early that are even like really active in like Mr. Money Mustache and things like that, they're functionally doing work afterwards. Like a lot of them are flipping houses and, you know, doing doing construction on their own properties and stuff. And for them it's more about work being optional. But it's very funny to watch a lot of them end up D- treating blogging about financial independent retirement early like as a job after they retire anyway so it, it's not Yeah, yeah it's no, I know same. a lot of these people
1: do blogging and writing and speaking and, and you're like that's my I'm job like, hey, that's my job <laughs>
0: <laughs> <So>. exactly <laughs> um, well th- it has been lovely to have you on uh, I usually ask every guest what the best financial decision you've ever made and what the worst is it doesn't always make the final cut do you have Do you have any decisions that stand out in your mind?
1: Well, I think a good financial decision is um, marrying somebody who is uh, as frugal as I am. I mm. think maybe fr- frugal is too nice a word; cheap might be a better <laughs> <laughs> a better word. Um, but the two of us um, don't fight about money because neither of us have particularly um, huge spending habits.
0: It's been awesome to have you on the show uh this is like all been so fascinating and i really like your work and i know that a lot of people right now are slogging through the time tracking and probably learning a lot as well as part of the to My Dollar community so i'm sure your insight will be very valuable to them uh if folks well, I wanna, hope so. <laughs> if folks want to connect to your work whatever you've got going on where do they find you
1: Yeah, you can come visit my website, which is lauravandercam.com. I blog a couple of times a week there. I'm very kind of 2006 that way. Um, Or you can listen to my podcast. I have an every weekday morning one called Before Breakfast. It's a little productivity tip uh, every morning. And another one called Best of Both Worlds. My co-host and I talk about issues of work and family from the perspective of people who really love both.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Well, it was such a delight to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh Yes, I really, I really hope that many people discover the wonders of time tracking through your work and hopefully this episode. Any parting wisdom you want to leave us with?
1: Um, You know, that tracking time is really about giving you back time. I really do think that time discipline leads to time freedom, because when you know where the time goes, then you can make good choices about it. And when you make good choices, you can make Choices that open up time for the things you want to do. So don't don't fear it. It's not a sentence. It's not anything bad. It's something that can actually give you your life back. Uh,
0: that is that is excellent excellent advice. Our show is supported by listeners like you and was underwritten by the Tamsin G Association, Warrior Queen, and Galena S. To learn more about supporting the show, you can visit omadollar com slash support. I think that wraps our show for today. We love hearing from you. Email us your financial worries, your time tracking questions at questions at Or you can always tweet me at Anomalily or at Omydollar. Oh oh Dollar is recorded at the X-Ray FM studios in Portland, Oregon, and is syndicated through PRX. This episode was engineered and edited by Tony Scholl. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki. And your host and personal finance educator is me, Lillian Carebake. Thank you for listening. Until next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you.
1: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat.